forward to uh, our time together tonight in Psalm 119. Um, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn there. And I've, uh, as far as the way that we're going to tackle this psalm, um, my plan is that we're going to we're going to spend four, maybe five messages um, uh, on this psalm. Now, we're not going to be going through this psalm verse by verse uh, from beginning to end. Um, but what I want to do is look at really four different, not different ways, but four ways to come at this this psalm. Um, tonight is going to be more of an overview Introduction to the psalm, some observations about the psalm, uh, and some ways that'll be helpful, I think, in uh, in approaching the psalm. Um, so when you think about, and this has already been been hinted at and even joked about a little bit, when you think about Psalm one nineteen, more than likely the first thought that comes to your mind is that it is the long psalm. I mean, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Um, it contains 176 verses. Uh, Psalm 119 is the same length as the book of Ruth. It's the same length as the book of James. So we're talking about a big, a big chunk um, that we're, we're uh, biting off here. If you were to read Psalm 119 at a normal pace, or maybe we should say an average pace, it would take approximately 15 minutes for you to start at the beginning and read your way to the end. Um, I've got an audio Bible, and it takes them 20 minutes to get through it. Okay, So just in case you're wondering, we're not reading through the text tonight. That would be all we did. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a, uh, it can be an intimidating chunk of Scripture. I say that. Sometimes it can be a frustrating chunk of Scripture if... You know, if you're thinking about that, okay, somewhere between 15 to 20 minutes to read this psalm, and if in your daily Bible reading you're used to setting aside 20 minutes or so, and you recognize you're going to spend 20 or 15 of that just working your way through the text, kind of knocks the winds out of your sails a little bit. So um, as far as the structure of it, most of you or many of you will know this, um, it is a, it is a, a Hebrew um, A to Z acrostic. Okay, so it's there is a, some kind of structure in the original text. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so there's 22 sections in Psalm 119, and each section consists of eight verses. Most of your Bibles, you're going to see that it's going to start with. Aleph and Beth and Gimel, and it's going to keep going. And those are the sections that this psalm is, is split up in. Um, now, just to be frank, this is an interesting fact, but it's pretty meaningless as we think about what it means to read it in English. Um, if you were reading in Hebrew, um, verse 1 through 8 all starts with, we're thinking about it from an English standpoint, A. Okay, so verse 1 starts with the letter A, verse 2 with the letter A, verse 3 with the letter A. But if you look at it in English, you can see verse 1 starts with B, and so does verse 2, and then verse 3 is T and T and O and T. There, it, you lose it in the English. So 
The reason I bring that up is, is um, you, you know already, uh, if you've been here for the other 118 psalms, that I really do like to try to figure out the structure of a psalm so that we can kind of come at it in, a, in a, some sort of a strategic way as we pick it apart and those kinds of things. But uh, the truth is, with the 176 verses in Psalm 119, there is no real traceable flow to the structure of this psalm. Um, there doesn't really seem to be a meaningful connection between the the chunks. So from one eight-verse chunk to the next, there doesn't really seem to be much meaningful connection. I'm not saying you can't find similarities in some of the content, but one chunk is certainly not dependent on the one before and it certainly is not really leading into the one after. You, you could read those as standalone. Another thing that you'll notice as you're reading Psalm 119, if you're paying attention, if you read it straight through, there's, there, are, there is lots of repetition in this psalm. Um, it, he is meditating. He is delighting. He is seeking. He is, and it's, it's very repetitious in what you read. Um, in the psalm. Um, now, there's a reason for me to bring all that up other than just trying to point out the fact that there's no uh, traceable connection because we're trying to think about how do you come at a psalm like this? So if we were to ask the question, and I will say if you, some scholars will disagree with that. Some scholars say that there is a... Uh, um, uh, kind of a, a chiastic structure that kind of goes like this and goes like that, but for most of us common people, that it's about as meaningful as A to Z in Hebrew. Uh, and I kind of think they're making it up, honestly. I don't really think it's there. Um, so, so if there's no real connecting structure in Psalm 119, um, then the first question that I would ask before we get down, and you're going to figure out what my answer is in a minute. If one section is not dependent on or leading into another, then is the best way to approach Psalm 119 to carve out 15 or 20 minutes and read straight through? I'll give you a hint. No, that's not it. And I'm going to build more of an argument as we go forward. Um, this psalm is is typically this is a moving on to it. These are these are all just kind of musings and observations about the psalm that are leading to how do we approach it. This psalm is typically labeled uh, the psalm that is about God's word. If you know anything about Psalm 119, if you've heard anything about Psalm 119 then you've, you've heard something about the fact that this is a psalm that's about God's Word. And there's a, really there's a good reason why people label it that. Um, and that's because the, the Word, uh, the testimonies, um, uh, His statutes, His precepts, there's eight different words that are used for the Word of God, is mentioned in almost every verse. It's not every single verse, but almost every single verse. Probably another reason why that's a very common um, common thought about Psalm 119. It's a it's a psalm about the Word of God. Is 
is because of the intro, which is the first eight verses. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep Thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep Thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all Thy commandments. I will praise Thee with a brightness of heart when I shall have learned Thy righteous judgments. I will keep Thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. So we get this uh, beginning uh, section that's talking about the blessings of the individual who is undefiled in the way, who walks in the law of the Lord, who keeps his testimonies with his whole heart, and so forth and so on. And so, um, again, it's, it's common to think about Psalm 119 or to hear that Psalm 119 is the psalm that is about um, the Word of God. But that's not really true. As a matter of fact, Psalm 119 is not really about anything. There's no storyline to Psalm 119. There's no, um, there's no climax. There's no resolve. Um, you've probably guessed that since I've said there's not really a connection between the sections. The, the Psalm that we're looking at tonight, Psalm 119, it's not really written about anything. It's written to someone. And that makes all the difference in the world when you go to approach this psalm. If you think that this is a psalm full of 176 verses that's going to give you some interesting facts about God's Word, you've missed it. That's not what this psalm is about. As a matter of fact, you'll notice that aside from the first three verses, this goes directly into a conversation. So he starts out with, blessed are the undefiled in the way, and he's, he's making these um, blessed type statements. But then he goes into verse 4 directly into, thou or you have commanded. He's speaking to someone here. He's not speaking about God. He's speaking to God. And he's going to do that for the rest of the psalm. So this is not an abstract psalm that's about something. This is a psalm that is written to someone, and that someone is the living God. Um, the most repeated words in this psalm, and again, sometimes this can easily be overlooked um, under, the, under the idea that this is a psalm about the Word of God, it could easily be justified to say that the, the most repeated words in this psalm would be, um, the, the eight different words that are used to describe God's Word. Uh, but that's not true. Those are not the most repeated words in this psalm. And the reason why it's easy to overlook is because we don't usually think this way, but, but the most repeated words in Psalm 119 are the word I and you. Okay, this is the longest I to you conversation in the Bible. Uh, there, you, you don't find um, outside of those first three verses moving into verse four, and there's some of them are synonyms, you know, thou, and, but it's an I to you conversation. We get a window into 
the psalmist. And by the way, we don't know really who wrote Psalm 119. It doesn't really doesn't really matter. It's not going to affect anything. There's there's good arguments that maybe it was David. There are also good arguments that maybe it was Daniel. Um, in the end, it doesn't matter. We get a window into a man who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to interact with God in a personal way over a series of obviously um, structured as far as the eight verses in the acrostic over a series of 176 verses. Psalm 119 is just as much about prayer as it is about the Word of God. As a matter of fact, you could argue that Psalm 119 is about how the Word of God should affect the way you pray. Or we could go further and say Psalm 119 is about how delighting in the Word of God will affect the way you pray. Or we could go even further and say that Psalm 119 is about how delighting in the Word of God will affect the way you live, which will in turn affect the way that you pray. You see how, how much more rich that is than this is a psalm about God's Word? It's not an encyclopedia. It's a multidimensional psalm that gives us insight into the life of someone who is loving and living off of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So if this is, and, and it is, there's no question about it, if this is the longest IDU conversation in Scripture, then that ought to, that fact alone ought to affect the way that we approach uh, the psalm. This is kind of helpful to think about. Um, I, I, I would ask for answers on this, but you already know that I'm trying to set you up. So if you were to try to think about what is the closest thing to Psalm 119 in the Bible, what other chapter in the Bible is the closest to Psalm 119? What would you think? You don't have to answer that out loud. I think the answer is John 17. John 17 is the closest thing to Psalm 119 that we have. You remember John 17? It's Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's this window into the prayer life of Jesus as He's coming before the Father and He's pouring His heart out to Him and he's saying things like, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation day and night. That's not, that's not John 17. That's Psalm 119, but it could be John 17. You see, this is a, this is a, a psalm that, that, that brings us into, um, almost being a fly on the wall as we see a man who is interacting with God based on His Word. And again, I think the closest thing we have chapter-wise in Scripture is John 17. By the way, I'll just say this, and, and um, you can take it for what it is, but this is not going to... In all these, four, all these four messages, or if we do five... You're, we're not going to get finished with these five messages and you're going to think, you know what, if I, if I want to know what Psalm 119 says, I'm just going to go back and listen to those messages. That's not the way that's going to work. I, I'm trying to set you up to get into Psalm 119 because I am not going to take the time to go through 176 verses of Psalm 119 because primarily I do not think that's the way this is supposed to be handled. And you'll see why in a minute. I'm not saying it's wrong to preach it. I'm just saying... Um, the, the way that this ought to be approached on a personal level is not, I think I'll listen to a sermon about it. 
It's uh, getting motivated to get into it and to glean what's here. Um, so it's uh, it's a psalm that is again about an individual who is interacting with God based on His Word. Number three. Number three. The first one was, point one was just a long psalm. Point two, this is not about the Word of God. It's about way more than that. Number three. This psalm highlights the fact that um, God is a God who speaks. And the psalmist example here in this psalm challenges us to consider our own attitude toward what God says. Okay, if you're paying attention, and, and there's there there are tons of just easy studies that you can do going through Psalm 119. I'm going to give you an example of one here in a minute, um, to where you're reading the psalm and you're looking for something, uh, and and what you're gleaning is uh, is actually something you can you can do something with. Um, so this is not just a glimpse at a man who has taken hold of God's Word. This is a glimpse at a man who the Word of God has taken hold of. Okay, There's a difference. The Word of God has a tight hold on the man who's writing Psalm 119. Let me give you an example of that. Just take note for a minute at what all he's doing with the Word. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you he's doing... And I may have miscounted, but all I did was I just I went through the psalm, and every time he said he was doing something, I just underlined it in red, and then I went back and, and put it. I may have missed one, so you would probably enjoy that sort of a study if you did that. Or maybe you would do something different, like I'm going to read Psalm 119, and rather than what is this man doing with the Word, what is the Word doing with him? I didn't do that. I'm not going to. I mean, I, I paid attention to some of it, but I'm not going to share that with you tonight. You ought to go do that. But take note of what this man's doing with the Word. He's respecting the Word at a verse 6. He's learning the Word at a verse 7. He's keeping the Word at a verse 8. He's taking heed to the Word at a verse 9. He's hiding it in his heart, verse 11. He's declaring the Word, verse 13. He's rejoicing in the Word, verse 14. He's meditating on the Word, verse 15. He's delighting in the Word, verse 16. He's beholding the Word, verse 18. He's, I'm going to quit giving the verses and I'll just give you the notes if you want them. He's longing for the Word. He's choosing the Word. He's observing the Word. He's trusting the Word. He's hoping in the Word. He's walking in and seeking the Word. He's remembering and comforting Himself through the word he's singing the word he's turning his feet toward the word he's giving thanks for the word he's believing the word he's learning the word he's considering he's fearing the word 26 different things these are repeated throughout um you get an idea that he's doing a lot with God's word and he doesn't wake up and say, well, let me put in my morning 10. That's not what he's doing. 
the, the Word has become just a normal part of His life. And because of that, here's, the, here's really the, 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 the bigger thing. The Word has penetrated every aspect of His life. He wants to grow in purity. What does He do? He hides the Word in His heart. He experiences affliction. What does He do? He hopes in the Word. He faces adversity. What does he do? He doesn't forget the word. That's what he does. He considers the word even whenever his enemies are coming against him. And you go through the psalm and you see that there are all these little snapshots of all these um, uh, episodes in his life. And one thing is just a constant thread throughout as he's speaking to the Lord and trying to... Um, run to the Lord and seek his uh, uh, make his refuge there. It's it's that he is he is saturated in the word. And it's not one of those things to where he gets up and says, well, today's going to be a hard day. I guess I better put in a few more minutes when it comes to Bible reading. No, it's just a way of life for this guy. And, and so because of that, he is coming to God and speaking in ways you know, like I said earlier, we could approach this in, in a lot of different ways. You know, one of the ways that you could approach Psalm 119, and it would be a very beneficial way, is just to say, you know what, I'm going to just read this psalm and I'm going to stand in awe that a man actually thinks and speaks this way. Okay, this is not somebody who's writing a formal paper to be graded or observed by something. This is a man who is in his closet with the Lord, pouring his heart out. And this is just the way he thinks. This is just the way he speaks. And the reason that he thinks and speaks this way is because not only has he gotten hold of the Word, but the Word has gotten hold of him. And the reason that the Word has gotten hold of him is because he's interacting with the Word in 26 different ways at least that we can trace in the psalm. Well, when we put it that way, in some ways it'd be easier if we just went through the 176 verses and left that off, wouldn't it? But that's far more challenging than trying to get through 176 verses expositionally, isn't it? The point is not, how do I, how do I master the contents of Psalm 176? I'm sorry, uh, Psalm 119 is 176 verses. The point is, how can I enter into this? How can I begin to think this way? How can I begin to talk this way? How, how can some of these things be true of, of me? Which leads us to our, our last point. Okay, Last point. So if you brought your lunch, you're going to be taking it home with you. Psalm 119 can be viewed as an expansion on and an illustration of the individual in Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Okay? You know this, but I'm going to read it anyway. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight 
is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Well, Psalm 119 is this man who's delighting in the law of the Lord. He's meditating in, in it day and night. He's bringing forth his fruit in his season. He's recognizing that it was good for him to be afflicted. He's recognizing the ways that the Lord has been dealing with him through difficult situations and in turn making him more fruitful. Um, primarily, if we're trying to just trace a major theme through Psalm 119, the whole psalm by itself is the fruit of Scripture meditation. Psalm 119 is the fruit, the result of Scripture meditation. When this man opens his mouth, Scripture pours out. When he interacts with God, it's on the basis of his word. That doesn't happen outside of regular, intentional Psalm 1 Scripture meditation. And we're going to do an entire message on that at, at, at one point. So um, that's what that's where this comes from. And then we could say it this way also that Psalm 119 is a psalm that stresses scripture meditation. Um, it stresses scripture meditation just by observation. It's not instructing you to do that, but as we think about how we can enter into it, that's uh, that's how. So it's a, it's a psalm that's full of statements that are meant to be meditated on. And really, this is the, this is the key to, to benefiting and understanding this psalm. It is a psalm that's full of these 22 eight-verse sections. And as you're reading through there, there are statements. I mean, you could do it with every one of them, but as you're reading through there, there, there are statements that you're just meant to kind of park it on and think about and meditate on, muse on. And I'm gonna, we're going to go through one of those in just a minute. You, you, you take the time to explore the statement and allow the statement time to explore you. So you realize that Scripture is something that you're... We, we've said it already, that this man lays hold of Scripture, but Scripture also lays hold of him. When, when the Word of God dwells in you richly, Scripture can just really cut your heart wide open. It can begin to show you things about yourself that you never even had a hint of. It can, it can expose you. That's what the Holy Spirit does as He brings conviction and so forth and so on. Well... As we take time to kind of park it in some of these areas, really this is this is what this is what the psalmist has done. You think about just if you just took that one thing and and read Psalm one nineteen and you were just looking for where has this man explored scripture and where has scripture explored him and opened his eyes to these realities, um, that would be a fruitful study. David Pallison, uh, author and 
biblical counselor, he illustrated Psalm 119 as a psalm that is a psalm with, with hundreds of doors that you're meant to open up and enter through meditation. Okay, Hundreds of doors that you're meant to open up and enter into through meditation. Now, this goes along with what we've been saying the whole time about the Psalms. So, so this isn't anything new as far as the Psalms were not written for a mere transfer of information. The Psalms were written to invite participation. Most of the Psalms, we don't really, I mean, people can guess about what, what was really going on in Psalm 13 or what was really going on in this or that, but, but most of them we don't really know specifically. And that's not the point. The Psalms were not written for entertainment. They were written for our learning and they were written for our entering into. You, you and I, as we're growing in relationship with the Lord, we begin to speak to God this way. We begin to interact with God this way. We begin to see that these men have the same kinds of experiences and struggles and victories and so forth and so on that we have. It's meant to stir our faith. So, um, if we, if we make our way through the Psalms, and, and we've mastered the content and it has had zero effect on our prayer life, we failed. Okay? That's, that we've missed the point. Um, it's not meant to be abstractions. It's meant to instruct us in the way that we approach the Lord and, and in the way that we walk through various scenarios. So let's, let's give an example of that. Let's, let's open a door. Um, a door here that is uh, really only entered in through through meditation. Here's a here's a very familiar verse, and that's why I picked this one. Psalm one nineteen, verse nine. Psalm one nineteen, verse nine. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto, according to thy word. You've heard that verse a hundred times, I'm sure. That you knew that verse was in here, or at least you knew it was in the Psalms. And sometimes we can use this verse the way some people use the passage um, where David says, at what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. Okay, you know that passage? And a lot of times people will uh, say, well, okay, well, that's a that's a passage about fear. So... When I'm tempted to fear, I'm just going to quote that to myself. And, um, you know, that doesn't work. David's laying out a game plan. He's not laying out the details of the solution. Um, At what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. That's a door and you can walk into it. But that is certainly not a fix-all. You've got to start asking questions like, what am I afraid of? And what exactly am I going to be trusting that God has promised? When, when I'm afraid, a, a, uh, a lifeless strategy is not going to help me. Rote memorization is not going to help me. When I'm afraid, I need to be interacting with the living God who has made real promises and I need to know what those promises are. 
Trust has to have a substance to it. You can't just say, I'm trusting God. There has to be things about God that you're trusting. Okay, So you see, one is lifeless. The other, as far as that's concerned, once you've located where your fear is and what it is that God has promised that speaks to that fear, well, then now you're in business. Now you've walked through the door. Now you have some things to meditate on. All right, same thing here. Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto unto thy word? Now, just for our purposes here, um, um, man, woman, person, okay, young, old, the application is going to be for everybody in this setting. So how do we enter into a door like that? Well, how will a young man cleanse his way? Well, here's a good question to think about. What area of my heart or what area in my life needs to be cleansed? That, that's one step through the door. Where am I being rebellious? Where am I being impatient? Where am I tempted to doubt God? Where am I cynical? Where in my life do I have relational strife? Where is my heart cold toward God? Where is my heart cold toward my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's just meditation. That's just musing. Meditation is just musing. We're just, we're just parking it on a verse and we're trying to make it personal. This isn't about some guy way back when. It's not even about the teenagers in the congregation. This is about me. How am I going to cleanse my way? By taking heed to the Word of God. And so the question is, what way in me needs to be cleansed? Here's a good question. Has anybody graduated beyond the need of needing an area in your life cleansed. Anybody squeaky clean tonight? Okay, so if you want to glean something from Psalm 119, you would do far better spending 20 minutes in verse 9 than you would trying to cover 176 verses. Okay, It's, it's, it's meant to be, and we're going to look at that maybe next week if that's when we do the meditation one, but... It's meant to be. You'll find that the psalmist here is rejoicing. He's delighting in the Word. And every single time he uses the word delight, it's attached to meditation. He's meditating. He's obeying. He's delighting. He's rejoicing. I've said this before, but at times, maybe not every time, but... Sometimes um, it can seem as if whatever the preacher is preaching on a Sunday morning to him seems to be the most important message there is to give. Uh, and that's because he's been thinking about it all week. Okay, It's gotten a hold of him. 
because the next week's going to be something different and it's going to be just as urgent. Uh, sometimes you might wonder, how in the world could somebody be so worked up about something in Scripture? Because they've thought about it a long time. Because they've meditated on it. Because it's taken hold of their heart. Because they've taken the time to personalize what's being said and have allowed that thing to explore them. So where is my heart cold toward? If we just take this one, where is my heart cold toward my brothers and sisters in Christ? Maybe we even go a little deeper. What makes me so standoffish? Maybe I struggle with interacting within the body. What makes me so standoffish? What makes me afraid or hesitant to draw near to my brothers or sisters in Christ? Well, let me ask you this. If there's something that's hindering your fellowship within the body, is that something that needs to be cleansed? Absolutely. Absolutely. How can an individual, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the Word of God. Okay, so if we're thinking about how to meditate on that, what area of my life needs to be cleansed? Okay, number two. Okay, that's just step number one. Number two, once I've identified the area of struggle in my heart, then I need to explore God's Word and see what it says that I should do about it. So let's just say the problem is, is that I'm standoffish. I'm kind of cold and indifferent toward my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I'm hesitant to interact. Does God's word say anything that might be helpful in a scenario like that? Now, for sake of time, I'm just going to give one possibility. Uh, and the answer is yes. Philippians chapter two, three and four, where Paul says, um, uh, don't do anything out of um, pride or vainglory. And then here's the part that we're looking for. Don't just look on your own things, but look on the things of others. Now, if we were to put that in just street language, it's take an interest in other people. Don't be self-centered. Take an interest in other people. Well, maybe that's my problem. Maybe I'm standoffish and I'm just constructing a scenario here. Maybe I'm standoffish. Maybe I'm cold and indifferent um, because more than anything else, I usually just think about me. And if you would come and approach me, I would talk to you. But since you're not, I won't. And so that has caused uh, me not to fellowship the way that I ought to be fellowshipping with. So really what I need to be dealing with, how am I going to cleanse my way? By taking heed to the Word of God. My problem is self-centeredness. The solution is I need to learn how to take interest in other people. So step number three, once I've found the passage of Scripture that speaks to that struggle, I need to meditate on that and I need to think through some practical ways to take heed or to implement the, uh, the solution, the biblical solution in my life. So if we were thinking about how can I or what would it look like out of Philippians 2.4 for me to, uh, to be more interested, for me to obey the command to be more interested in other people, it might look something like this. All right, who am I going to choose to take an interest in? That's not my norm, so I'm going to have to be intentional about it, strategic about it. Who am I going to choose to take an interest in? 
And then maybe, how can I be praying for them right now? That would be good. That would probably spark an interest in my heart. If I'm praying for somebody, that means I'm thinking about them and I'm expressing some concern even before I I try to interact with them. And then maybe, how can I engage with that person in the near future? Where am I going to do that? When am I going to do it? Well, those are important questions. And again, what are we doing? We're just musing on this idea that, you know, the struggle that I have in my life right now is that I just don't have the kind of fellowship that I ought to have. We've mused a little bit on that. We found a biblical solution to that. And now we're musing a little more about how can I actually implement and obey that? What kind of questions might I ask to facilitate a conversation? Again, it's a whole lot easier and a whole lot more comfortable to take in 176 verses in 20 minutes than it is for you to start allowing the Word to expose and begin to renew your heart. Like taking Psalm 119 verse 9 and chewing on it. What do we? I mean, this has been six or seven minutes so far probably. Right? See, the problem, I think, with Psalm 119, as far as its intimidation, is that for most people, they're intimidated about the wrong thing. The size of it shouldn't intimidate you. The depth of it should. You're meant to enter into it. And as as you enter into that, and as you allow the Lord to speak into your heart and into your life through meditating on these, these doors. So verse 13, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. Maybe you were going to park it there. I'm just going to give one here just for the sake of time. What, what tends to shape the words that come out of your mouth? Homespun wisdom? Whatever sounds good to you at the time? Whatever will make somebody in the room laugh? Or the Word. You see, that's another door that we maybe we'll just crack that open a little bit and close it back. It's meant to be meditated on. It's not meant to just be a truism that you know is there. You're meant to go through it. And so, this is the approach to Psalm 119 that really gives you the most bang for your buck. It's a psalm that's meant to be meditated on. And it's a psalm that's meant to be gone through slowly, intentionally, and deliberately where you read, something catches your attention, and you just park it for a minute. I need to think about that. I need to think about what that is exposing in my own heart and in my own life. And then I need to be thinking about how I can interact with the Lord as He's showing me these things about myself. So, in the in the Wednesdays to come... We're going to be talking more about Psalm 119, but I hope that just kind of getting this approach will whet your appetite, not to hurry up and go home and read it all at once, but to move through it slowly. You got all month. We're not moving away from Psalm 119 this month. You got all month. So go home and start moving through it slowly and see if the Lord won't bless you to be delighting and rejoicing in the Word as you invest that kind of time and meditation in it. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Psalm 119 and for what You've given us here. And Father, I pray that we would be good stewards of what You've given us. Father, I pray 
that we would incline our hearts to wisdom. I pray that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. I pray that as the psalmist, we would be able to say that we delight and we rejoice in your word because it is our meditation. Father, we, um, we love you. We thank you that you've spoken to us. And uh, thank you that you've given us your word in Jesus' name. Amen.